As I open a book that I once pulled from the ashes of my grandparents' house, the dusty, mildewed scent catapults me to their back hallway. Through the double door made of tiny mullioned panes, I see the entrance hall waver, a quivering of claret and sunlight from the front door. Wafting from the kitchen the smell of chicken smothered in cream and pepper until it's falling off the bone. I'm playing an ancient wind-up record left over from when my father was a boy. Katie crackles in my ear. Through my grandmother's open bedroom door, I glimpse chintz dust ruffles, hat boxes, the slender oval mirror over the dressing table where she leans, and I see her dab the fluffy puff between her legs. That's it. Brief cloud of bath powder, grinding consonant Katie. I'll be waiting at the kitchen door. Warped light throwing rainbows back through the door. And I wonder, always, why do such fragments remain forever engraved when surely significant ones are lost? The kitchen fragrance, no mystery, for who ever could forget Fanny's smothered chicken. An early memory of my father. He opens his buff hunting coat, and in all the small interior pockets, doves' heads droop. He and his friends Bascom and Royce break out the bourbon. From my room in the back of the house, right off the kitchen, I see through the keyhole. Keyholes are a large part of childhood. The doves he's killed piled on the counter, and someone's hand cleaning a shotgun barrel with a dish rag. The terrible plop-ploop sound of feathers being plucked makes me bury my face under the pillow. When his friends go... My father stays at the table with his tumbler of bourbon. I'm reading with a flashlight under the covers. My specialty is orphans on islands where houses have trap doors into secret passageways that lead to the sea. Rowboats menace, treasure, and no parents in the story. As the water darkens and danger grows, I hear my father talking to himself. When I quietly crack the door, I see his head in his hands, his blood-stained coat hung on a hook. Very late, he hits the wall with his fists and says over and over, beastly, Christly, beastly, Christly. I put the palm of my hand over the spot where he is pounding with his fist and feel the vibration all the way up my arm. I press my nose to the window screen and look out at the still backyard. A tea olive tree grows outside my bedroom window. It's scent airy, spicy, and I prefer it to the dizzy perfume of the gardenias and magnolias that rule the neighborhood. Tough ovoid leaves scrape the screen. The tiny flower clusters are fit only for dollhouse bouquets. Then the back door slams and the car screeches out the driveway. My father's parents live two blocks away. I like to gaze into the silver globe under the giant oak in their backyard. My face looks distorted and moony, especially when I cross my eyes and stick out my tongue. In the mirrored sphere, the yard curves back, foregrounded with oak branches like enormous claws. On the latticed back porch, my grandmother Mays washes a bowl of peaches, 
with her maid, Fanny Brown. Mother Mays's hair is as silvery as the garden globe, and her crepey skin so white she's almost blue. She looks as though she might dissolve or disappear. Her pale eyes always seem fixed on somewhere just beyond me. Late in the afternoon, she puts up her bare feet on an ottoman. With the lamp haloing her hair, she's ethereal. But then I see crude, tough yellow corns on the last two toes of each foot. They're translucent in the lamp's glow as she relaxes with the upper room, a church book of devotional readings open on her lap. Dove heads, tea olive, silver globe, bowl of peaches, church books, images, are the pegs holding down memory's billowing tent. From them, I try to figure out who my people were and where we lived, what they did, and what they could have done.